Now you can go ahead and break open your notes. And um, that we're in a, a first series. We're going to roll through this all five weeks of January. And let's just go ahead and jump right in the middle of it. Because here in the first month of the year, we want to make sure that we put first things first. It, it totally it matters. You know, you got to put on your socks before you put on your shoes. There's some, some things that you want to make sure that there's some certain order that you do things. And uh, I, I think that with, a, with all of us gathered here on a Sunday morning, the first Sunday, that we all are here ready for some life change. Is anybody here ready for some life change this year? Anybody here ready to see 2011 be a little different than 2010? All right. Well, one of the first things we have to embrace is the fact that it's not about us doing it all by ourselves. It's about what Christ has done for us. And that's why we're going to begin to look and see what the Bible says about keeping first things first. Now, this holiday, we got the privilege of getting to do a little bit of traveling. We went and did some, some skiing and learned about putting first things first there, putting on your boots, putting on your skis, learning how to stop, all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, we also got to go to, to Fredericksburg and celebrate uh, our 17th anniversary. So Cutie and I just celebrated 17 years of marriage. That's right. She deserves a hand. I'm telling you, that woman has put up with a lot over those 17 years. And uh, we decided to do something different this year. We always take the, you know, our trips by ourselves. And this year we did something different. We took the kids with us on our anniversary trip and it was a blast and so we were house in Fredericksburg and had a good time there now the problem with taking kids to Fredericksburg is it's not like kids central you know that's not like where kids like where do you want to go to for your birthday I want to go to Fredericksburg I want to go and look at the shops and a bunch of old stuff and so no my, my kids have never said that and so we took them and we had to remind them look y'all are on our trip this is not y'all's trip. This is our trip. And uh, we had a good time. They enjoyed it. We went and did some of their stuff, went to Six Flags and all that kind of stuff. But while we were walking around Fredericksburg, Carson, my youngest one, um, seven years old, and I, you know, most of this stuff didn't interest him at all, but he began to notice that there was a lot of Elvis stuff at places. He began to notice Elvis. And so and he's like, oh, Elvis. And he'd mention all the Elvis stuff. It's something he recognized. He began to, you know, have, a, have some sort of connection there. And finally, he looked up at me and said, Dad, was, was Elvis born here? Is this where Elvis lived? And, uh, and I was like, yeah, no, son. They just, you know, I guess Germans are into Elvis. I, I, I don't know what that connection with Fredericksburg and Elvis is. But there's a lot of Elvis stuff. But uh, anyways, it just got me thinking about Elvis. And there were some, some interesting, interesting things about Elvis and that he was interviewed just six weeks before his death. Six weeks before his death. He'd had all of his career, all of these things that he had uh, accomplished. And the reporter asked him, he said, Elvis, when you first started playing music, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. And of course, at that point in his life, he was rich by most people's accounts. He was a wealthy man at that point in his life. He was famous. You know, all these years later, my seven-year-old son walks through Fredericksburg, and who does he know? Elvis. He was definitely famous and is still famous. And th th those were undisputed facts. Those first two were done. 
But he asks about, the reporter asks about the third one. Are you happy? Okay? And um, his response to um, are you happy was not a yes or no. His response was, and you're going to have to forgive me. I, I will explain myself in just a second. And uh, his response was, and I quote, I'm lonely as hell. Okay? Now, he probably meant that as an expletive. I think it's an appropriate thing to say because lo- hell is a lonely, lonely place. There would be a lot of people that there, sadly, but it is very much alone. And his response, I think, gives a lot of insight into our condition is that he, when he was asked about you know, all of these things and his happiness, he said, man, I'm just lonely. He's not happy. He wasn't happy at all. He felt completely disconnected. Now, what we need to do here at the first of the year, when we look at our New Year's resolutions, when we look at what we want, does everything that we look for in our New Year's resolutions, are they things that would have already fit under Elvis already has it list? Because when he quoted this, he had a lot of things. You know, on our New Year's resolutions, do we want to say, well, I want a bigger bank account. And there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to live blessed lives. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But is that what our focus is? Oh, I want to be the best in my career. He was dubbed the king of rock and roll. Rock and roll was his career. The the, the highest, the pinnacle of his career. Yet he was absolutely miserable at the end of it. There's another quote from him on a different occasion. Again, this was not weeks before he died, but this was a couple of years before he passed away. And he was told a close friend that he felt like his entire life had been a waste. That his entire life had been a waste. And he felt like what he should have done was that he should have gone and become a minister. See, his passion for music, his first love was developed in a country church worshiping his Savior. It was a spiritually enriching activity in his life. And he was good at it. He was anointed at it. He was gifted at it. And who knows if he had chosen to, to use that gifting in a different way where we would be today in the area of worship. Who knows what impact that would have had. But he learned something really quick that when it comes to what first things, he learned it on the backside and we don't want to learn it on the backside. We want to live it on the front side. That life is not better if it's not better spiritually. When we look forward to 2011, we need to make sure that our desire is to see that life is better spiritually. Life isn't really any better if it's not better spiritually. So when we look at this, we want to make sure that that is our desire and say, God, at the end of this year, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been before. I want to love you more and I want to love people more. Why? Because those are the ultimate gauges if we're growing spiritually. Jesus said the whole law is wrapped up and you love God and you love other people. Am I a crabby old irritable person? Well, I want to be less irritable at the end of the year. I want to be a little more loving. I want to move forward on this spiritual growth timeline thing here by the end of the year. I want some life transformation that reflects my maker. So when we look forward to 2011, 
we need to remember that all things that create life begin with God. We just started. We just started reading through the Bible again. The blog is all connected with it. We just cracked open Genesis 1-1 one more time together as a group. If you haven't done that yet, it's not too late. It's just January the 2nd. It takes about 15 minutes a day to read through the Bible and read through the entire Bible in a year. If that's a little intimidating to you, just read the New Testament portion. It takes even less time than that. It takes about five, seven minutes. And you can read through the entire New Testament with us through the course of the year. I just want to encourage you to begin to, to do some of those things. But let's look at Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Any kind of creative thing, any kind of regenerative thing, it's always going to begin with God. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I love the way the Bible in basic English puts it. It says, Genesis 1.1, it says, At the first, God made the heaven and the earth. And the message translation uses that word first as well. It says, first this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see and all you don't see. And then when God was given his commandments and his people had said, Lord, give us some rules to live by. Give us some, some stuff. Give us some rules to live by. The first one he gives us is you will have no other gods before me. Now, why? Is it God is on an ego trip? Guess what? You're going to do things, I'm going to be first. No. It's because if, you're, if there's going to be any life breathed into you at all, it's going to be because you keep God first. Anytime we let something else in that first place, we're going to begin to see life ease out and slip out. But when we keep God in that first place, everything else can begin to fit into place. He is the only foundation big enough and strong enough for us to build our lives on. He is it. He is the only one. One of the things we have to remember is that God is not something we add to our lives. You know, it's, church is this real easy thing where we can come to and think, you know, well, I need to add God to my life. I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to do this or do that. Or, you know, God's not something we add to our lives. Are we really get the framework of how meaningful we are to God when we understand that we are something God added to his life? See, God already existed. And he wanted to enrich his own life, and he created you. Isn't that amazing? He already existed, and he created you to make his life better. That's how important you are. That's how wonderful you are to him. And when we embrace that, we begin to understand. I'm not here just having to, to put God on my life for some sort of window dressing. God loves me incredibly deeply. And that begins to change everything. See, in creating life, the first thing God did was to separate light and darkness. We go to the first day. Our cooperation in God's creating our worlds, <clears throat> our own little worlds, create, requires that we must be able to distinguish between the light and the darkness, the life-giving and the life-destroying. See, our society wants to just dilute everything. We want to gray everything, okay? 
Why? What happens there? All of a sudden, we get, we're not being able to distinguish between the light and the dark. We're wanting to say, okay, well, everything is okay. Don't you dare say that something's wrong. Our society says that. Right now, the only thing our society will not be tolerant with is what they call intolerance. That's the only thing our society won't be tolerant with is what our society refers to as intolerance. And intolerance is simply the, the, the paradigm of do not say that there's anything wrong with me. And that's why we begin to push God out as a society. Because God will begin to speak to us and say, you know what, you, you, you were made in my image, let's live like that. And bring us back to that place. Now, we went on, while we were traveling, we, uh, my daughter Brooklyn wanted some special shades. And uh, anyways, when we were going and they were offered two versions of these shades, they offered polarized versions and non-polarized versions. And I understood the premises of what polarization did, you know, but we were there and would ask the salesperson, you know, okay, well, you know, what's all the hubbub, you know, with the polarization? And they had this little, this little display and it just looked like, a, like a, this goldish reflecting thing. And I said, all right, you know, look at that. I said, all right, now put these polarized glasses on. And as soon as you put them on, there were all these colors and this design there. But you didn't see it because of the reflection. And what the polarization does is it cuts out the reflection. And then you can see. That's why, you know, you have the little fishing glasses they sell, you know, so you can see the fish under the water and cuts the reflection off. They're just polarized sunglasses. And it brings the distinction so we can see what we're really dealing with when God first thing God did when he was going to create a world was separate the light and the dark. Made this distinction so we could know to begin to choose the light, begin to choose the good. He made this distinction between the two. See, John 10.10 says, The thief comes comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have a life and have it to the full. There's an enemy that's looking for destruction and there is our Savior, our God, who's looking to bring us life. And remember the hinge pin we talk about all the time in Deuteronomy 30, 19, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. As we are walking into 2011, if we're going to live the life God's called us to live, if we're going to, if our life is going to be better spiritually at the end of this journey than at the beginning, we're going to have to be able to distinguish between the good things God wants to add in our life and the the destructive things that need to be kept out. That's ultimately, that's what the whole process of a diet, there may be a few of y'all that have started new diets. The whole diet says, all right, add this to your life for health, keep this out. For you, for you to get to where you want to go. It is a separation of light and dark. It is a separation of what you should and you shouldn't have. See, over and over again, the light and the dark are representative of those things. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. John eight twelve says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And then John 3 says, This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. But men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Don't show me the light. Don't show me this. Why? Because it says that life change is going to have to happen. 
the cool thing is, is God doesn't bring the light into us to condemn us. He brings it so, so he can bring us life. You're doing something that's hurting yourself. Quit it. That's what the whole point of God bringing light into our lives is all about. Everyone that does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his evil deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that he may be <clears throat> plainly see plain, seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. If we are going to live in the light, it's not through ourselves. It is through God. Now, God will give us vision for the life-giving things that we should be pursuing. Now, all of us, God created us all in His image, but all unique. Okay? Now, I had a... Whenever I was... We were first getting this ministry going, then I had a a good friend of mine that every time we would meet to have coffee, he would say, God wants to do original ministry original ministry i was like okay you know i I get that he's like you know you know everybody's trying to look for a model or or something to begin to take and to to copy and begin to put that into god created you unique be who god created you to be see that is what god that's why we have to live by the spirit of god Otherwise, what we will do is we will find somebody that has some, some maybe likeness like us and we'll begin to try to emulate what they're doing and live their life and we will find it ultimately unappealing. Why? Because it's not the life God has called us to live. There's no substitute for living by the Spirit. See, with James Francis, is, I believe, is pursuing what God has for him in the Air Force. And that my calling is is here with Celebration Church and as a pastor. And some of y'all are, are, are teachers and business people and, and all different things. You have to hear what God has for you. That you're in every facet of your life. And when we're doing that, God begins to create a vision and begins to show you what your life lived out in Him is going to begin to look like. Matthew 6 says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In 2 Corinthians, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And let's pay attention here to verse 10 as we read Ephesians 8. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That we were once that, but now we've been created that. We're not being like light, we are light. We are light in the Lord. Live then as children of the light. Live then that way. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. This just seems so odd right here that he says, find out what pleases the Lord. It's like Paul's writing along with all this authority. And then he's like, well, and then find out what pleases God. I'm really kind of clueless on that one. Yeah, I don't really know. Find it out. Send me a telegram. 
Facebook me. Tell me what's up with this. When you figure out what pleases the Lord. Why would he write that? Because each person's life. There are the principles, and our lives should never violate the principles of the Word of God. They show us the boundaries in which we live. But each life is going to be unique. You can't say, well, man, I feel like God wants to use me, and so I'm going to be this way. Man, whenever I was young, and we had a, as part of an awesome college group, and there were so many people just full of the passion for God and wanted to make their lives count. But for some reason, everybody thought that you had to go to the mission field. Everybody felt like if, you, if God's hand is on your life, well, that means you were going to the mission field, you know? And very few ended up going to the mission field at all. And very few, even fewer, are there to this day. Now, we can't begin to cookie cut and think, well, if God wants to use me, it's got to be in this way. Well, if God wants to use me, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to sit there and, and lead worship, or I'm going to have to preach, or I'm going to have to do this. Maybe that is what God's called you to do. I'm believing God for, for ministers to be raised up here. We want to see churches planted out of this church. That very, very well may be what God has for you. And we're going to see God facilitate that, and we want to be a part of that. But you know what? Don't put God in a box. God does want to use you. Find out how, what is pleasing for God to use your life in. And then a life-giving vision. It only produces results when it is connected with a life-giving action. See, once God gives us a vision, we got to do something about it. We, it sometimes it seems so obvious, but it's, we'll stumble over the obvious sometimes. Now, on December uh, 17th, we uh, uh, just kind of skipped right over it, but it was um, the 107th anniversary of flight. Orville and Wilbur's first flight. And, uh, you know, I, I got my pilot's license a few years back, and we got an ultralight guy here on the second row from Flies, and got some folks that enjoy getting off the ground every once in a while. So that was a, that was a, a big moment. You know, man had never flown. It had, you know, it's, it's so many seconds in the air, and uh, <clears throat> Orville and Wilbur, their sister, uh, receives a telegram from Orville and Wilbur and uh, about their 59 seconds. And the telegram reads, <clears throat> first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, hope to be home by Christmas. And she grabs the telegram and runs to the local newspaper editor and shares with him the scoop of all scoops. Flight has happened. She shows him the telegram. And so she goes, gets the newspaper the next day, and here is the headline. They actually wrote this. Popular local bicycle merchants to be home for the holidays. We flew, hoped to be home by Christmas, and that's what he grabbed. Home for the holidays. Now, that's nice. That's wonderful and sweet. But missed the big point, missed the obvious. I tell you what, when God begins to give you a vision, you've got to do something about it. There have been so many times in my life that God would begin to stir something in me, and early on, I wouldn't do anything about it. I sadly ended up with my family homeless because there was a house I wanted to buy that I never made an offer on. And somehow I thought it was smart to turn in my notice to my apartment. We were moving out. And I never 
something was missing. And my wife still stayed married. We just celebrated 17 years. We had to move in with another pastor. She was pregnant with Keenan you know, almost 16 years ago. So she, she, we made it through the first year of marriage that way, maybe in that stupid. But action has to go with it. It has to be connected with it. When God begins to stir something in you, begin to do something about it. Begin to do something. Make some kind of motion forward with it. In 1 Thessalonians, your sons of the light and sons of the day do not belong, to, you do not belong, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be alert and self-controlled. See, that we, who we are is going to reflect on what we do. For we who sleep, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet and Romans 13 says the night is nearly over the day is almost here so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light we begin to choose to walk in the things that give us life that is what this has to be about choose to begin to do the things that help us and we need to understand that God never has us do life alone God never, ever has us do life alone. Walking in the light will connect us with life-giving relationships. Yesterday on the blog, on our first day of reading, I mentioned this, that, that the, when God in all of creation, God had just created, and the only mistake God lets us see Him correct is aloneness. Now, we don't know how many times God created a world and scrapped it and said, boop, I'm going to do this again. Maybe this was first, maybe not. Who knows? We're not privileged to that prehistory. Who knows? We don't know. We just know what we know from the Bible. We know that he created and called it, called it good. But then he looked at Adam and saw that Adam and said it's not good for man to be alone. And then began to correct that mistake and create woman. And uh, that aloneness is something we need to be aware of. If we're going to live life on a better level, God is going to hook us up with people to do life together with. That's why our small group ministry is important. That's why it's part of our vision. Because God has us to do life together. Whether I don't care what that, how that shapes out, you're going to be hooked up with other people. And so walking in the light is going to connect us with life-giving relationships. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Do not be yoked together with un." believers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common what fellowship can light and darkness have now this yoke is being where you're going in the same direction pulling the same load okay these are your spouse these are your closest friends and black people in business people you're business partners with not people you do business with these are people you're up and you're making decisions together with these are the, these are the people who are you're yoked together you need to make sure the, those life-giving relationships that you're connected with, that they're going in the same direction. First Peter 2 says, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His light. We are people 
who've been called out of darkness and into light. It doesn't make us better. It's that the truth of what God has done in us. And God is going to hook you up with people who are moving forward in that direction. See, God has given us His Spirit so that we may live in the light who is Christ and have the life that really is true life. God wants to give us abundant life. God has given us abundant life and we have to remember to keep Him first in this. And then as we move forward in this first series, we're going to look at some of the pieces, what it means to keep God first, how we do this, how we keep first things first. But here at the beginning of the year, then I just want to challenge all of us to say, you know what, I want my life 